From the Financial Times in London, I'm Darren Dodd and this is FT News. Can music make you sick? That's the title of a new report from Help Musicians UK, a charity that's launching a mental health support service for workers in the UK music industry. We're joined today by Dr George Musgrave of the University of Westminster and he's one of the researchers behind the report. Hi George, thanks very much for coming in. What's the actual background to this report? So the the research that we've just done, Can Music Make You Sick?, was actually conducted by myself and my colleague Sally Gross at the University of Westminster. And Sally has had this idea for a number of years, actually, to try and look into this relationship between musicians and mental health. And obviously the link between artists and madness, in inverted commas, is not a new discussion. You tend to get these ways of thinking about it that tends to perhaps sort of pathologise, you know, kind of all artists are a bit mad sort of discussion. Or they kind of sensationalise, you know, in the discussions of sort of the 27 Club and Amy Winehouse and, and things like that. And there's also some pieces of research which we came across that was talking about how creative people are more prone to having mental illness problems and things like that. But what we really wanted to look at was this notion that there may be a link between the working conditions of working in the music industry and the subsequent mental health impacts on the workers and looking at them as workers, as you might do any others. And obviously there was a lot of media reports about this type of thing. You saw kind of Kanye West in the news and Bengo, a dubstep artist, came out talking about his battles with schizophrenia. And we wanted to take those discussions that tend to be focused around sort of global megastars and their problems with mental health and look at it more on a level of sort of day-to-day musicians. And there were a number of studies which had come out globally talking about this type of thing. There was a really interesting study in Australia that came out which we talked about a similar type of thing. There was also one in New Zealand, uh, the New Zealand Music Federation or Foundation, I believe. And there was also a study in Norway as well, which was a slightly smaller sample of, uh, I think it was between sort of eight and 12 musicians looking at this link. And what we were thinking was, you know, this kind of evidence that the working conditions might be impacting musicians sits very uncomfortably alongside two kinds of rhetorics. You know, one which is, in the new sort of knowledge economy and the role that the creative industries are coming to play as we evolve into this new knowledge economy, alongside literature which talks about the therapeutic benefits of music, you know, and we know that there are studies where it's used in overcoming trauma and things like that. But these two things sit quite uncomfortably alongside each other, you know, the notion that the career might be damaging, yet it's so important to the economy and can help people at the same time. And so the charity which we got in contact with were wanting to kind of expand I suppose their evidence base in order that they could tailor the services more appropriately to what they were offering whilst Sally Gross and myself were wanting to explore in a bit more detail something which we'd anecdotally I suppose come across because Sally is a music manager and runs a kind of record label in France and has been for sort of 20 years or so and um, I'm a musician as well I'm signed to EMI and Sony and So we just wanted to explore some of these questions in a bit more detail, really, and that's where it came from. Okay, that's very interesting. So can you tell us how you actually went about the research and share some of the headline findings with us? It was a two-stage research process that we went through. The first one was a survey, a very, very general survey with sort of very open questions to try and find out, I suppose, the scale of the problem defined quite broadly. And we did that last year. And the results that came out, we got 2,211 responses. So it was the biggest ever piece of academic research on this topic. And of the people that responded to us, 71% were saying they'd experienced anxiety and 68% depression, which are obviously really high numbers. It's a self-selecting sample, but nonetheless, they were very, very high numbers. 
And so what we then wanted to go on to do was to try and talk about causality, you know, because lots of people when they first saw that were saying, well, we kind of already knew that. We knew that musicians were a bit nuts anyway, so some people weren't so surprised. So we wanted to find out why these numbers were so high. So we went on and did 26 interviews drawn from people who'd responded to the initial survey as well as people in our sort of professional networks from a whole variety of genres, from like opera to heavy metal, different career stages, even 50-50 men and women, and basically said, you know, tell us about your experiences. What does it feel like to be a worker in this industry? And the results that came back was them saying that the making of music was therapeutic, but the pursuing of a music career is traumatic. And I suppose the main headline findings to come out of it there's a number of them which you can see in the report in the kind of summary report but i would sort of cluster them into three big ones the first one is and it comes through all of them really is about the role of precariousness so the first one you have financial precariousness now everybody knows that musicians are saying musicians are poor is not new that's not particularly novel or interesting but what is interesting that came through from the interviewees that what they were telling us that they get this kind of existential crisis of meaning whereby if the work doesn't have economic value and particularly now that the economic value of music has been decimated so intensely they wonder about the value of themselves almost because musicians in particular sort of embody the work that they do and and we're telling us that they feel they are the work there was quite a nice quote in the reports one typical comment was um, someone saying to this musician so are you still doing your little music things well yeah are you still doing your little banking thing absolutely (laughs) that was a great comment Because it sums it up very nicely, you know, about how if your work doesn't have economic value, what value does it have? And there are a number of people for whom they have financially precarious work. You know, perhaps an Uber driver might be precarious work, but the nature of how they conceptualise the nature of their own work is very different, you know, because it is them. And and that comes to sort of destabilise them and cause some anxiety. So you have financial precariousness. You have a second one, which is what we call the kind of precarity of experience. And by that, we mean that precarity is not just a financial thing in the context of the music industry because you get this very very profound sense of uncontrollability the role that luck and timing and writing the right song in the right place being heard by the right people with the right pr all of this contributing towards whether or not your song is ultimately successful and then what is success so it's a kind of an intangible thing of trying to work out what success is. It's like, you know, on MasterChef, you know what a successful cake is, but you don't in music because you operationalize success with different in a different way. And then this creates this really unpleasant scenario whereby the notion that you're a kind of entrepreneur in control of your work, this autonomous, in-control entrepreneur, clashes with an industry that you actually have very little control over. And that inability to reconcile the two becomes a real problem. And then you also have these issues with relationships, which came through quite strongly, both family relationships, because they're forced to support them for a long time, you know, or living in unstable housing and things. And the, the family relationships come to be, you know, defined by guilt a lot of the time. And then you get these professional relationships where they're precarious in that they vanish when you're not wanted anymore. But that also the, the, there was a number of things came through where they were subject to abuse, particularly in the women that we were speaking to, you know, some horrific things that these musicians were telling us about you know there was one musician for example who was measured every single month by her management agency to make sure she stayed a size eight to fit into sample clothes you know things like this and some other really troubling stories and you sort of tie all of these things together and you start to formulate a picture that says 
you know, a lot of the working conditions of being a musician are not pleasant. You know, they're really not. And if there is going to be this rhetoric of, you know, the creative industries are going to be fundamental as the economy moves forward and, you know, we're all going to be creative entrepreneurs soon. You know, musicians are a little bit like the canary in the coal mine, really. You know, they sort of foreshadow changes in the wider labour market. And if this is happening to them, the people who are supposed to love their work and enjoy their work, what happens to all the people then that aren't loving their work? So for me, it's a question of, it's, it's even more than just musicians, really. It's just musicians are suffering in this way and they have very particular labour market challenges, which we've tried to explore. I think it's a good point about the value of the music industry because it still is one of Britain's most successful industries and we're going to need to find some industry champions over the next few years. Well, that's, and it's, and and it's successful it for whom? That's yeah. the question, is successful for whom? Because the people at its heart, what comes through in this are, you know, suffering. So. Okay. And can you give us some other example? I mean, that shocking story of the woman singer. And there any other examples that kind of quite typical ones that stand out? I mean, there were a number of ones, really, but there were a number of kind of anecdotes and stories that people told us, which were particularly frightening, some of them. I mean, the idea of the role of success, there was a really fantastic quote by one guy who was saying the thing about working in music and wanting to be successful is he was like you know imagine a footballer going and playing football but the goal is absolutely tiny it's the same size as the football and every single match ends in nil nil and people only score goals once every six or eight months or once a year the football players would be too depressed to go out and play and he was like that's what being a musician is like you're continually doing something that's very hard and you never really know what's going to happen to it and it just becomes an endless struggle there was a female folk singer who we spoke to who was talking about how she's played at Glastonbury, she's had a number of critical releases, she's successful, in inverted commas, whatever that term means. And she said, you know, when people ask me what I do, I feel I have to say, you know, I, I work in retail or I work in a shop because it is what I do as music really a job. You know, do I feel I can really call it my job because I actually earn very little money from it? And you can see them grappling like with what they do. You know, the family stories as well. We were talking to this slightly older guy who was a really quite illustrious jazz musician talking about the strain it's placed on his marriage of trying to get these early flights back home and then these gigs would change at the last minute and the impact it would have on his family and how often he could see them. You know, the stories are not particularly pleasant. You know, And part of this is about revealing what it's like to actually be a worker in this world. Music is a sort of myth-telling industry. It loves telling sort of myths about itself. And one of them is that it's really glamorous and, and wonderful working here well the creation of the songs are you know they love that that's who they are and, and i i get that you know i totally get that but the working conditions that surround it as they've told us can be damaging to them yeah yeah so now we've identified this problem what are help me actually going to do with this report now is there some concrete action they're going to take to address these issues yeah so this is the great thing really about this is that as a direct result of the findings and the kind of recommendations that we'd made in the report help musicians are launching a 24 7 phone line it's called music minds matter uh, it's going to be launching in december i believe it's the first 24-hour helpline sort of of its kind that's been launched it's like a triage service you know so people can contact get emotional support information and advice sort of legal benefits about debt mental well-being that type of thing and then they can signpost you to kind of other mental health professionals or appropriate support, you know, support those where it's clinically possible to access other services. It's not so much for those with sort of acute mental health crises as such, but it can certainly be that sort of first port of call for people to go to. And, and that's been really great that that's been sort of launched off, off the back of this report. I can see the triage aspect very important, especially if you're on tour, it's a late night in a hotel and there's a 24-hour hotline you can get through to. Absolutely. OK, George, well, thanks very much for coming in. You can find the report at musictank.co.uk. 
You can follow the campaign on Twitter with the hashtag MusicMindsMatter and you can get in touch with George himself with his Twitter handle at Dr. G Musgrave. That's D-R-G Musgrave. And remember, for the latest health news, you can follow the FT on Twitter at FT underscore health and sign up for your free weekly health briefing at ft.com forward slash FT health. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.